Oh, hey, didn't see you there. Don't mind me, just typing on my quirky typewriter keyboard. For anyone who doesn't know, this is a keyboard that was inspired by a typewriter. So it has actual keys, a return key, and a spot to put your iPad to type on. It's been so fun to play with, and we have one quirky keyboard to give away in our giveaway this week. If you go to mission.org giveaway, you can enter for a chance to win, or you can just listen to me type. We also have a second product to give away this week in our giveaway. It's the Muse 2 Brain Sensing Headband. I really like their catchphrase, sitting down is just the beginning. What's really cool about this headband is if anyone has ever tried to meditate before and you're like, man, I'm just anxious about this. I can't stop thinking about the day. So many things going through my mind. Calm down, Stephanie. It's time to meditate. This headband is really nice because it actually has sensors that provide real-time feedback on your brain activity, your heart rate, your breath, and your body movements. And it helps really guide the meditation experience. So we're giving away one of these, one of the quirky keyboards. Go to mission.org giveaway for a chance to win. And good luck. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you are listening to Mission Daily, selected as Best of 2018 by Apple. Mission Daily is the number one podcast for accelerated learning. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mission Daily. On today's episode, we have Wade Foster. Wade is the CEO and co-founder of Zapier, a tool that allows you to connect the apps you use every day to automate tasks and save time for your business. Founded in 2011, Wade started Zapier as a side hustle with his co-founders. Today, Zapier is a 100% remote team with over 200 employees worldwide and growing fast. In this episode, Chad and Wade discuss how to hire and onboard new employees, what Wade thinks of Silicon Valley today, and why he thinks remote work is here to stay. Wade, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're calling in from Sunnyvale. Is that where your offices are based or are you just living out That's there? That's just where I am. So Zapier's gotcha. got a fully distributed team. We don't have an office. That's uh, incredible because I think it's 200 people, right, that are spread around the world? 220, I think, something like that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when you started the company, did you did you visualize the 220 people around the world? Did you think that that was coming or? You know, not really. Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't envision 200 some people, like period, whether it was in an office or not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we started the company as a side project. Three people, just uh, me and my co-founders, we had a problem that we wanted to solve for some of our consulting clients. We wanted to build something together because we thought it would be fun. And uh, so that's where it started. Like there wasn't sort of some like, we're going to have, we're going to make <laughs> this much money and have this many employees or anything like that. It was just like, let's make something cool that solves some people's problems. I love it. Let's go back to the early days and maybe the origins of Zapier because you know you mentioned consulting clients and uh, your co-founders. Were you all working together at that point or what was going on? So Brian and I were playing in a, a blues and jazz quartet together. And then Brian had known Mike. I hadn't known Mike super well before Zapier. But uh, Brian and I, we also worked at the same, we had the same day job. Um, we were working in the marketing department at this uh, online mortgage company specialized in VA home loans. And uh, in the evenings, we play in this quartet together and we just hack around on side projects and like anything to sort of make a buck and do something interesting was kind of our MO uh, in the evenings. And uh, we would get asked to build these little one-off integrations from time to time. So we built like a a WordPress forms plugin that could feed data into like Salesforce. We built like a PayPal QuickBooks thing. And uh, 
Brian sort of realized, had this insight. He's like, wow, a lot of people like these like little connectors. Um, I bet if we could build a tool that helps connect any sort of generic SaaS app or a tool that you use for work, uh, whether it's for marketing or for sales or for productivity or for your invoicing or, you know, payments, whatever, like there's all these things that you have to use when you run a business. Uh, it's like that, that could probably be pretty useful. Uh, and in my day job, I was actually messing around with the Marketo API at the time and struggling because I'm not that great of an engineer. And I was like, oh my gosh, if we had something like this, uh, like I wouldn't have to be dealing with this like, you know, gnarly API as a bad engineer. And so that's where the like kind of original idea came from. And we teamed up with Mike and built the original prototype of this thing at a, at a hackathon uh, in one weekend and just had a, a lot of fun building it together. And we we're like, what would happen if we just sort of keep, keep working on this thing? Like, what, what, could we get some customers for it? Could we make something out of this? And so yeah. we just kept working on it after that hackathon nights and weekends for shoot for months at a time. And then, well, now years at a time, seven years in, we just haven't stopped. Yeah. And at what point when you were working nights and weekends, uh, were there a couple moments where there are a couple stories where you realized, wait, we could build uh, millions and tens of millions of zaps. And, you know, did you, did you start to, yeah. The first customer we had was like a huge aha moment for me. I remember, um, you know, we, we built the, uh, he was looking for a Wufu Aweber connector. And so we made sure that Wufu and Aweber were supported on Zapier. We sent him an invite and said, here you go, check it out. Like, tell us what you think. And he sends me an email back and he says, wait, this looks so cool. Uh, do you think we could get on Skype though? I'm having a few problems setting this up. Sure, no problem. Let's jump on Skype and I'll, I'll walk you through it. So we get on Skype and uh, he wasn't just having a few problems setting it up. Like he couldn't figure the product out at all. He was struggling to just do basic things in the app. And so I started walking him through just, you know, him in the driver's seat and I'd tell him where to click, you know, click here, do this next, set this thing up next. And I was taking notes the whole time, you know, oh, this thing is way too confusing. There's no way a normal human can figure this step out. Like just you know, writing down every problem with like sort of the initial design that we had that was preventing um, someone from setting up the, the zap. And it was like a pretty long list. It was like, oh my gosh, we got a lot of work to do. Um, but the funny thing was we got to the end and his app got turned on and I said, okay, go, go fill out your Wufu form and see if it sends over your leads into Aweber. And he did it. And his reaction was like, oh my God, wait, this is going to change how I run my business. This is so great. Where do I send the money? How much do I owe you? And I was like, really? We just went through like really gnarly process where you were totally confused the whole time. And that was the reaction. And that's when I knew I was like, if we can fix this list, people are going to be pretty happy that this exists. Uh, yeah, I love that. And were your uh, co-founders at the time, what, what was that moment like? Because I, I remember just like it was yesterday when we got our first large contract from a customer. So where was there like a party? Was there a celebration uh, when the first uh, check came in or um, yeah, what was that moment like? I remember, so we didn't even have like a bank account or anything set up. <laughs> and so when, you know, Andrew was his name and we said, Hey, you know, I, uh, where do I send the money? I was like, I, I don't know. And so I said, well, here's my PayPal account. Like you can send it to my personal PayPal. And so we were like, Oh, this is awesome. We got to get a bank account so we can put this money <laughs> But the coolest thing was one of the first zaps we set up was a PayPal SMS so that it could trigger when you got money. Uh, oh, and so cool. I remember driving to the bank with Brian to go like, you know, uh, get a, get a new, get a checking account, a business checking account where we could deposit money. And as we were walking in, I get a little ping on my phone and I look down and it's a zap saying, 
uh, Andrew has paid you $100 for Zapier, just like alerting me for it. So the first Zap literally told me that we'd made money as we were walking into the bank account, the bank to set up our checking account. That's that's awesome. And uh, what was next from that moment? Was it you know furious uh, coding and working on the product? Was it customer development conversations? All of the above. Yeah. Uh, what was all next? All of the above. So that process of just watching people on Skype try and use the product was something we repeated for like eight months. So what I would do is I would get in these forums and uh, like the Dropbox forum or. Uh, the Evernote forum or the Salesforce forum, the MailChimp forums where people were asking for integrations. And I put little comments like, hey, we're working on a side project that might solve this problem for you. So if you're curious to learn more, you know, go over to this page and let me know about it. And for the folks that were like, these folks really wanted it because they're like crawling through forums to like ask about like, can I get a, you know, Dropbox Evernote thing, or can I get a MailChimp Salesforce connector, or can I get a PayPal QuickBooks thing? So these people are really motivated. So we didn't get a ton of traffic, but the traffic we did get from this was really targeted. And these folks would, you know, I'd send them an invite and I'd say, hey, let's walk, jump on Skype and I'll help you set it up. And then I'd just take a lot of notes, watch what they, watch what worked, watch what didn't. Then I'd go back to Brian and Mike and be like, all right, here's the if they let me record, I'd record it. And it's like, here's our recording. Here's what I think we got to fix. Here are the things that are problems. And then they get in and start working on this stuff. Oh, and along the way, we're trying to just figure out what apps do people want too. So, you know, we'd figure out, Oh, someone wants MailChimp. Let's make sure that MailChimp's on Zapier. Ah, oh, someone wants Zendesk. Let's make sure that Zendesk on Zapier. And part of that was based on just our intuition of what was popular, but other, um, we were also paying attention to like search traffic terms and like what's ranking really well. And, you know, where are we getting a lot of requests in and things like that to sort of give us direction for the next things to build. And that was it. Like it was just grinding on that from like 6 p.m. until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., you know, for for months on end, like eight months, I think we did that to just get the thing up and running and get it to where the product was simple enough. And, you know, the more I did the Skype calls and took notes on things, the more over time you started noticing like, people needed a little less help. Like it got a little simpler, it got a little easier. So eventually I started having calls where I would just watch them set it up. And then it, like, I didn't need to do anything for it. And you know, we never have got it to where a hundred percent of calls are like that. We're still working on this today where we get on calls and watch people use the product. Right. Um, but it got good enough where I was like, enough people are figuring this out on their own. We can launch this thing. Yeah, that's that's really really exciting. And were you building at the time in Silicon Valley primarily, or was were, were your co-founders outside? Or yeah, so we were like- all in Missouri, um, in Central Missouri, and so uh, you know we had our day jobs. Mike was still in school, so we would just meet up after you know work was over, school was over, or sometimes we would just work from our places and like be uh, on like G Chat, chatting with you know talking to each other on G Chat back in the day. Uh, saying like, hey, did you see this? What about this? What do you think about building this thing? Can you can you check out this commit? Tell me what you think of this stuff. Um, doing that kind of stuff uh, was how we sort of coordinated back in the day. Very cool. And what were the first zaps that you created or that you created in part with your customers where they just kind of took off or what were the most popular first zaps? Were there any that stood out? Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the very first one was a, a contact form into an email marketing list. So Woohoo Aweber is what um, Andrew was setting up. And that sort of helping folks manage their leads, talk to their customers, 
manage the communications around this, making sure that contact information was getting to CRMs and email marketing tools was a pretty popular use case early on. And it still remains a pretty popular use case today. Uh, and then other things around um, like communicating uh, and like, uh, like internal project management, project communication, things like that. So alerts when, hey, this task got complete, now it's your turn to do this next thing. Or, you know, hey, we just got this file sent to us, make sure to follow up on this next step. Like internal project management sort of things, like automating little steps in between was always a pretty popular use case as well too. Sure. So after that eight months where your the workload looks like it's getting less and less or it's at least sustainable, um, what was the next inflection point or moment where you uh, maybe the business got a little bit more formal or started to grow up? What was that moment for you all? Well, so we, we you know, uh, we were in working part time on this thing in Missouri. And so um, one of the things we did was apply to Y Combinator and uh, was fortunate enough to get accepted into it. And so that allowed us to, we moved out here to California. We started working on this thing full time. We actually, right around that time, actually right before we started YC was when we launched officially and said, hey, this is available to just general public. Um, so that happened. But I think more than that, the sort of next critical piece that happened was we had started to get a lot more interest in having more apps on the platform. Zapier works because today we have 1600 apps on it. You know, in the early days we had, you know, we were building all these ourselves. Like we would, you know, every day we'd try and add new apps to the platform, but you know, it was just the three of us working as fast as we could go. So, you know, it started with a couple apps and then it was a dozen apps and then it was two dozen apps. But by the time we got to like three or four dozen, we started having a lot of customer requests for apps. But the other interesting thing that started happening was vendors themselves were reaching out to us and saying, how do I get my app on Zapier? Or why isn't my app on Zapier? And I remember getting an email from Aaron at Box, the CEO at Box, like on a 2 a.m. on a Saturday, uh, saying like, why isn't Box on Zapier? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's three of us, we're working as fast yes, as we can. Yes, of course seriously. Box would be on Zapier, right? Uh, right. We- was kind of our reaction to that. And uh, was, it, was that a big moment because you, yeah, I know, so we've got a couple inbound emails like that from uh, CEOs or C-level executives of publicly traded companies. And when they come in, I always am like either pinching myself, I can't believe it's happening. And it makes me uh, super anxious about the work. It makes me super self-conscious, but then it's also exciting. So totally. what was that? Yeah, I what, mean, what all was those that? feelings apply, yeah. right? You're just like, holy cow, this is crazy. This is insane. Also, it's 2 a.m. on Saturday. Like, why what is What are you it? doing? <laughs> yeah, like, what's going on? Um but I mean, we were up working too. So I guess he was doing the same. I don't know. Um, and it it just was like, we were just like, Oh, this is so cool. Um, and the, the sort of takeaway we had from that was like, well, if someone of his like caliber of, you know, boxes caliber is interested in Zapier, making sure that their product is available on Zapier, maybe if we had sort of like an open way for them to build onto Zapier, they would do it. They have a lot of engineering resources. Maybe they would carve off one or two engineers to for a couple of weeks to build an integration. And so we placed that bet and built the original version of our developer platform out in 2012. And that was a big sort of moment for us because now it wasn't just us building these apps. It was a whole open ecosystem building these apps. And today there's 1,600 apps on the platform and most of them have been built by vendors themselves. So 2014, Slack built their integration. 2015, Airtable built their integration. 2016, Zoom built their uh, integration. So, and so many more, so many more companies have done this. 
And that has enabled us to really focus on the core experience of what it's like to set up Zaps, the core experience of helping you discover and find workflows that matter to you, that match your profession. So if you're a marketer, here's the things you should use. If you're in sales, here's the thing you should use. If you're in product management, you should use these things. It's allowed us to focus on those elements rather than do we have the tools that you use at work? And that really has been a, 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 that was a big moment for us when we launched that first version of the developer ecosystem. Very cool. And uh, when you launched the developer ecosystem and during your time in Y Combinator and afterwards, um, how were you and your co-founders thinking about capital partners or long-term partnerships with investors? This is something that's top of mind for a lot of people in Silicon Valley. Um, What was your thought process like? Any mental models you were using or recommendations or... Yeah, we always had a pretty atypical, I think, approach to funding and financing. Being from outside Silicon Valley, being from Missouri, you know, the the business that we'd been working at, that mortgage company, had scaled really fast to over a thousand people, totally bootstrapped. They never raised a dime. So, like, we'd been a part of businesses who'd sort of operated with minimal or no funding, and that's what sure. we were used to. We were used to make something people want, charge a fair price use that money to fund your operations. And Imagine that. Of, yeah, this sort of whole <laughs> the concept of, the, of like, yeah. you know, get a million bucks and like, you know, scale real fast and then it doesn't matter if you make money, not now get 10 million bucks and spend all that money and then get a hundred million bucks and then spend all that money. Like that, it just didn't, I, I didn't understand it. I've got, I've grown yeah. to understand it more today and I get it. But at the time it was a bit of a foreign concept. And so we, we, we did end up taking some money. So we did raise about a million dollars, but we were sort of in the back of our heads. We were like, let's pretend like we didn't get this money. Let's operate like this didn't exist. Uh, and so I think, you know, we did have a few months early on, you know, for about a year we were, you know, spending a little bit more than we were earning because there's just a lot of costs up front um, to run sure. a business but we never dipped super far in. I think the most we ever like were in the red in a given month was maybe $10,000, something like wow. that, which is insane. To, when you go talk to Silicon Valley companies, they're like, yeah, we're burning, you know, a million plus a month is like a number that you hear and you're just like, holy cow. Right. Never like that. And so that allowed us to really focus on what do customers need, what's going to drive value for them, uh, what's going to make them willing to pay for this thing. And as a result, we were able to scale revenue um, quickly because we were focused on those things. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget too, there are success stories. Companies like Microsoft come to mind where Gates famously raised a million dollars, didn't spend any of it. And uh, that was it. That was the, uh, the, the end of his money. So you are allowed to do that. It's always uh, fun to point out. It is possible. Lots, lots of folks have, uh, have done it before. Um, so as you're going through that process and you're, start, you're starting to grow, uh, you have a couple months where you dip into the red um, how are you going about building your remote team? Because with, with hiring and keeping a culture stable or healthy with 220 remote employees, uh, or even just starting off and hiring remotely, that's not easy. So I, I'd be super curious to hear how, how you went, went about those challenges. We were pretty patient and intentional about this. So we didn't hire our first person for over a year. It took us a year before we even said, Hey, let's hire a, a, a you know, another, a fourth person into this company. And, uh, once we did, we knew it was for a reason. So we were starting to generate lots of sort of, sort of inbound support requests. Uh, we'd wake up in the morning and probably work till maybe 2 p.m. just sort of answering support requests. And it got to a point where it's sure. like, look, we love doing support. We love helping our customers. But if we could cut this down to like one or two hours a day, 
instead of six, that's that extra time we could spend making the product actually better and helping these customers out and before they even have an issue with the product. So we went out and hired someone for support. Uh, and then we started, we were able to start making progress on building the app. We got a little more revenue and we were like, okay, we're still not quite in the red, but like we're feeling pretty good about how this is going. Like the team, you know, our first employee sort of worked pretty well. Let's hire a fifth one. So, you know, four months later, we sort of did that and we're like, okay, that's feeling pretty good. You know, four months later, like let's add another person. So we're like really slow and making sure that the team was gelling and working together. Um, also, we'd never hired before, so one of the pieces of advice we'd gotten was don't, um, like, hire your former colleagues. Hire people you've worked with before. De-risks it a little bit because you already know that there's a sure. level of professionalism there that uh, it's just harder for an inexperienced hiring manager to, to know. And so, you know, those people weren't in California. We'd moved out to the Bay Area for YC, but the people we knew professionally were all back in the Midwest. So that first person we hired was in Chicago. The second one we hired was in Columbia, Missouri. So that's what sort of ticked us down this remote way of doing things. And, you know, we were fairly intentional about it, but I don't know that we, um, I don't know that we did any sort of like genius things early on. We just sort of paid attention to like what's working and what's not. And more things were working than weren't. And so as a result, we sort of felt like, hey, we're growing, you know, we're shipping product fast. We're helping our customers, revenue's going up, and we're doing it remotely. Why can't we continue doing it remotely? So that's why we just kind of kept going down that path. And eventually we're just kind of like, well, I guess we're a remote company. Like, I guess this is a part of who we are. Very cool. And does your team, uh, or do you balance that out with uh, one or two offsites or what are, you, what are you doing to kind of bring everybody together? Or is that in on the roadmap or what, what's so that we, like? We started doing uh, offsites uh, pretty early on, um, about, a, about a year and a half in or two years in, we did our first one. Yeah, about right, right at two years in, we did our first one. So there's seven people and we flew everyone out and we started doing them twice a year. So we've done about a dozen of these now. In fact, if you go to our about page, you can click through the photos and see like how the team has grown over time. Uh, cool. We take a picture at all of these events to see like what's, you know, just the evolution of the people. Corporate mythology. I love it. Yeah. You yeah, got to cool. keep a history, fun. build a history. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, and uh, these events are really important. Um, you know, we're staunch believers that remote and distributed work is sort of like here, it's here to stay. Like a lot of people talk about it as the future, but like, we don't, like, it's, we live this every day. This is how work is going to get done. More and more people are going to do work like this. Even still though, there is something special about meeting someone in person, having a meal with them, hanging out, walking somewhere together, just, you know, that more sort of casual uh, relationship sort of builds like, friendships and bonds in a way that like just jumping on zoom every day doesn't quite do. Right. Uh, and so we keep doing those trips twice a year to sort of reinforce the culture, reinforce the values in particular, reinforce what we're about, why we do the things that we do, why we care so much about helping customers be successful, those types of things. And those, that, those offsites are really critical for that. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's, it's almost like offsites are magic in a sense where any type of, uh, interpersonal uh friction is is eliminated after the offsite where you just look at slack before and after an offsite and after it's like filled with uh jokes and filled with like every you know everybody's gelling and it's, it's such a great experience yeah um, I mean, it's so true we've had people who have commented that you know join the company and 
you know, before they came to the offsite, they're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I'm not sure if I'm going to figure this out. And then they go to the offsite and it's like a switch. Flips, <laughs> and they're like, Oh my gosh, I get it. This is how it works. I understand yeah. this. People. I understand how to interact with these folks. Um, you know, that was especially true before we sort of got really good at onboarding folks. You know, in the last couple of years, we've gotten really good at like bringing folks onto the team. But early on, like there, there wasn't like a super formal onboarding process into the company. We just sort of show up, make sure you got a laptop and say like, here's your job description. Like, you know, jump in, dive right in, yeah. figure this stuff out. Um, and turns out that's not a great way to onboard people. I'm sure that's a surprise <laughs> to no one, but um, you know, that's how it was sure. in days. Now we have a whole team that helps onboard folks. And so where it's a lot better, but boy, when we didn't have that offsites were so helpful for just reinforcing, you know, how we do things. And let's talk about that onboarding process for a moment. So if I study correctly, you offer $10,000 for moving costs to employees that, uh, who are living in the Bay area, who want to move out of the Bay area. So it sounds like you're approaching this from, uh, maybe a bit of a contrarian standpoint. So I would love to hear if you're open to sharing a little bit about onboarding, hiring, and then maybe like the type of uh, culture fit or talent you're looking for. Yeah, I think the thing that we've done, you know, we hire people all over the the world. So most folks that we hire are not, you know, in the Bay Area. Most folks are just in, you know, random spots, Tulsa, Oklahoma, or, you know, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, or, you know, wherever, right? Um, Wherever their sort of home is. Uh, and that's where we end up hiring. And part of onboarding, what we've done is created uh, like some structured curriculum and classes. Uh, so one of the things that's really important uh, for folks is a sense of community. Uh, that's a thing that helps people feel like they belong. And so we now that we're large enough and we're hiring enough, we've created cohorts out of this. So every two weeks, there's a new cohort of folks and they start together. And typically right now it's about four or five people start on the same day together. And that first week they go through a set of curriculum and um, classes together. So we have a variety of speakers come in and, you know, kind of teach a topic at Zapier. Uh, Some of it's like how to just do like little things, like how to use the tools that we use, uh, where things are, you know, when you get onboarded in an office, people have to show you where the bathroom is and where like the kitchen is and all that stuff. Well, in a remote company, we have to show you like, here's where the out of office form is. Like I'm sick or I'm going on vacation form. Here's where these things are. Here's how to talk in Slack. Here's how, to... so there's all that sort of bits. But then we also have like our executive team comes in and each of our executives does a session that talks about, you know, how that function sort of contributes to the business and how it interacts with the other functions in the, the company. Um, myself and my co-founders do an AMA and introduce them to the history of the, the, the company and also the future of the company. Uh, people sort of teach a class on values. I teach a class on how to give feedback. So it's like feedback's really important part of Zapier. Here's how you will interact with feedback as a a teammate here. Uh, So we get all of these sort of perspectives at Zapier from like the 30,000 foot view. And you really don't start doing your actual job probably until like week two. Uh, Week two is where you start to be like, okay, now that you sort of understand the full scope and breadth of what's going on here, let's start to get you into the work. Uh, and we found that that's been really important because it really gives people a much deeper understanding of what our purpose is here. They have a sense of community around who they're working with. Uh, and it just kind of orients them. Uh, sure. So they're not walking into like a, a room in the dark trying to figure out where things are. They sort of just know a little bit more about, you know, okay, I, I get where I'm at. I get what I'm doing. I understand where to go for questions, that kind of stuff. 
And I'd be curious to hear too, do you consider Zapier to be a uh, champion in the no code movement? I mean, it, f- it feels like that. Um, what's your take on the movement and uh, how do you view Zapier's role in it? I mean, I think this feels a lot like, um, you know, things like publishing online back in the early days, you know, used to be a thing that like you had to be super technical to do, like you had to learn how to use HTML, CSS, and like had to learn how to uh, do your own sort of like web administration and all that sort of thing. And then, you know, things like MySpace and Blogger come along and make it really easy for just sort of anybody to, you know, put some text on a website and on a page somewhere on the internet. And all of a sudden, you know, a whole bunch of people who you didn't realize were, were interested in this thing, come along and start doing this. Um, I think the sort of no code movement is similar in this regard. You know, developers have created stuff all along, but there's people who aren't developers who are interested in making things, who are interested in creating stuff. And the tools have just sort of been just out of their reach um, for one reason or another. And when you see things like Zapier or Airtable uh, or Coda or, you know, Glide come along, it's sort of, or Webflow, it puts these tools in their hands in just a little bit more accessible ways. And all of a sudden they start making things that are like pretty cool and pretty progressive that in the past you'd have had to be pretty darn technical to make something like that happen. And so I, I think it's, I think this movement is like super awesome, super fascinating. I think you're going to see it grow. Just the maker community like is latching onto it like, like crazy right now. Um, and so it's really fun to just see what people are, people are doing. It's a lot of, it's like playing. Agreed. And uh, it, it's, I think it's playing in a way that is super exciting for small business owners. So as uh, the founder of a small business that's growing rapidly, we're using Zapier on about, I would say 80% of our marketing workflows and automation and things like that. But we couldn't, I mean, I would, to do what Zapier is doing, we would need to hire another one or two people. And so that's, that's a huge saving for us because we can have our head of growth just use Zapier and, and hustle and uh, make it happen. Um, so that type of, I feel like Zapier is giving small business owners leverage that they desperately need. Because if you look at the stats for small business, it is not, it's not too bright. <laughs> and uh, so you need every advantage you can get. Um, are there any success stories or customer stories you like to cite when it comes to like small businesses and, and how how people are benefiting? Totally. We've got, so we've got one of these Zapier experts who is in Israel and he, um, he's a, he, he's a sort of marketing consultant for a lot of small businesses in Israel. And, you know, before I talked to him, I used to talk a lot about like, here's how much time Zapier saves you. Here's all the hassles it gets away. And he sort of came back to me and once and was like, you know, Wade, Zapier definitely helps me save time. But as a small business owner, it's really not about time for me. Like I definitely get more time back. But what Zapier really does is it lets me do things that I wouldn't have been able to do before. Like we we could we didn't have the funds to hire engineers to do these types right. of things, but now we sort of operate like a much bigger company, and we're able to use tools like uh, like a Wufoo or like a Mailchimp uh, or like uh, Basecamp or Trello or these types of software that are like pretty inexpensive for a small business owner and automate this stuff end to end. And so as a small business owner or person, you know company that's got less than 10 people, uh, you're able to like get a lot more done and feel a lot bigger in your operations because you have software doing the work for you rather than, you know, interns uh, trying to scramble all this stuff. Yeah. And I feel like too, it's a, uh, it's a great opportunity where with so many different zaps too, it's a way to stay up to date on possibilities and opportunities because 
Uh, I know our head of growth, uh, Dylan and, and myself, like I'll occasionally just browse and see what's going on because it's a great way to get ideas that you previously, like I, I wouldn't have thought of those on my own. I'm already, you know, so there's some days that I'm coming off like a, a 10 hour or 12 hour day where you just have to grind it out. And I'm, I'm not creative at the end of that, that time period. So I need to like check things out in the marketplace and kind of see what other folks are doing. So are, are there any like really creative integrations or, you know, or really creative zaps that are, uh, that where you think are just like, that's incredible or, well, you know, the thing that folks should check out is we just released a report on the fastest growing apps. We've done this every, uh, for three years. Oh, very cool. We noticed this same thing where people were coming to Zapier and being like, what's the cool new tool? It wasn't just about connecting apps. It was like about discovery. It's like, what are the things yes. that I should be using? And so we're like, we can actually tell these people, these are the apps that are growing. These are the things that are coming more popular for folks. And so if you're like the type of business that kind of wants to be on the cutting edge, that wants to sort of be ahead of the curve, you should probably check in these tools out. So we just released it. And, you know, we see like this year, uh, mini chat was the number one app on the list. And um, mini chat is a, a Facebook messenger bot platform and it helps uh, small businesses uh, basically communicate with um, their uh, leads, their customers, what have you on Facebook. So when they sort of engage with them, you can, you know, in Facebook messenger start to like chat and there's a bot there, but a lot of times you sort of want to collect more information. And so you use uh, mini chat starts becomes a form oftentimes to collect information from your customers. And uh, you know, folks use mini chat then to send that information into an email tool or a CRM to sort of better uh, do follow up for those customers. And, you know, five years ago, like Facebook messenger bots are not even a thing. Uh, but now it's like, you know, taken off like crazy. Um, and so that's been one really fun thing about, I think about running this business is that you kind of get to be on that early curve of like, what's coming into the market. You know, the no code stuff we were just talking about Sure. five years ago, no one was talking about that stuff, but you see the tools like Airtable last year, they were our number one on our list. And it's because these tools give more power to folks to let sort of non-technical folks, let their creativity loose and build whatever, you know, whatever sort of strikes their sure. interests. Um, that's been really fun to watch. Yeah. And I would go so far as to say too, that it's a way you can, as a small business, not yeah, it, it's not competing, but uh, stay relevant and keep growing. So you can outgrow being a small business. You can get to a medium sized business or a large business because a lot of these large enterprises, they're not adopting these zaps and time-saving things. So when we're doing that, and then we're in like a client conversation or something like that. And we get a pretty basic request from a client and we can say like, hey, we could just set that up for you. And it's it's so it is not even on their radar. Um, so in a way, you're not like a year ahead or something like that. But I, I don't know, maybe a couple of years ahead, but you're definitely uh, kind of living in the future there. Um, it, it feels like. Um, you're able to move fast. You have a lot more leverage that big companies yeah. just, they're, they're slow. They're bureaucratic. So as a small person, you use automation and tools like this yeah. at your disposal to like react to your customers, to react to the needs of your business, to react to your internal stakeholders a lot quicker. It's, it's a pretty, it, it feels like magic the first time you do it. Yeah. And all right, so let's shift gears here a little bit. And I would love to hear about what you're doing outside of Zapier to recharge, unplug, or um, yeah, just stay uh, get, get that inspiration that, uh, helps keep business fun and exciting. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, uh, cornerstone habits are like really, really helpful. And so for me, my exercise routine is kind of one of those cor cornerstone habits. And so, uh, every day, five 30, I'm wrapping up work and I'm, 
you know, either head in the gym to play racquetball or to lift weights or something, uh, just to like break a sweat and like do something that sort of takes my mind off of work. Um, yeah. you know, an activity like that is sort of all encompassing both physically and mentally it sort of forces me to sort of decompress a little. The nice thing is when I finish up, I'm pretty exhausted too. So I can grab a bite to eat and then like usually, you know, have, sit down, watch a show with my wife and then I'm tired. So I'll go to bed like totally exhausted, get a full eight hours of sleep, wake up refreshed uh, and ready to go in the morning. Like I am ready to hit it. And so uh, that helps me like be, be fully present um, for the sure. work day for the team to get my complete energy uh, for me. So I think those sort of, you know, a lot of folks use exercise. Some folks use like meditation. Some folks use sleep. The sort of cornerstone habits that you serve are like, if I get this right, everything else sort of falls in line. I think has been really an important thing for yeah. me. Uh, to make sure that I can, you know, well, I've been doing it for seven years and I still like, I feel like, you know, I'm ready to go for another seven. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And I would also be curious to learn a little bit about uh, why you and your co-founders uh, chose to stay in Silicon Valley and, and how, how you're thinking about the Bay area. What, what is the future of the Bay area? Is it, uh, is it hopeful or uh, can we just expect skyrocketing real estate from here on out? Oh, shoot. If I, if we could solve that on this call, <laughs> you know, we stuck around for a couple of reasons. One, my wife just, she honestly just fell in love. Like she liked the region a lot, probably more Same than here. I did to be fair. Um, and so you do a lot of things for love. Um, and you're sure. sticking around here is one of them. Uh, there is a very practical reason too. So as much as like we are staunch advocates of, um, you know, distributed work and um, distributed teams, we work with 1500 companies and some of our biggest partners are here in the Bay areas. And they're not always as conducive to like jumping on Zoom. And it's sometimes a little easier, you know, to drive over to, you know, Google or Facebook or, you know, Salesforce or whatever, and just go, go have a meeting with them when you need to have a meeting. And so that sort of convenience has been one of the, uh, one thing that's been helpful. And, you know, for better or worse, the Bay Area still has a massive density of, you know, technology leaders who have scaled companies to a large size, but much higher density than any other region in the world. And so from just sort of a networking perspective and learning perspective, being here does help you get exposed to that. Um, and I think mostly in a pretty positive way, uh, but the internet's making that so much easier. So like, you know, when I want to chat with somebody running, like I, even in the Bay area, we often jump on zoom now because like who wants to deal with traffic? So I think, um, I think the thing that sort of, advantage of like having that density of folks here is, is kind of disappearing a little bit. Um, you know, it's not going to be fully go away for the same reason that we do, you know, in-person meetups twice a year. There is something special about seeing someone. Um, but, uh, it's not the same advantage that it was like a decade ago. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I mean, you see that with a lot of companies, they'll, they'll have their like innovation hub or whatever here, but their main offices of course are elsewhere. Uh, so you mentioned a uh, series earlier, you might w kick back and watch a show or something like that. Uh, are there any that you're just obsessed with at the moment or when you do go down the rabbit hole, what are you watching? I've been rewatching the office <laughs> lately. <laughs> so I can't give you any sort of like hot tips on it's new a, TV shows right now, but I mean, that's, that's a pretty hot tip because I, I can remember when I discovered the office, I think I, uh, it was on a weekend and that was about all I did for the entire weekend was just watch, just watch the That's office. A good show. It just cracks yeah. me up every time. And you know, that and parks and rec are my like go-to just like, you know, kill, kill 20 minutes or, you yeah. know, wind down the day sort of show. Cause they're pretty light and funny. Definitely. 
And uh, when it comes to other mediums, though, are you reading books or have books, nonfiction and fiction? Has that been a part of your uh, past? Has that shaped you as an entrepreneur in person? No, definitely. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm not as ferocious reader as some, but I'm usually getting through a book or two a month. Um, and, you know, trying to just pick up books that seem sort of relevant, seem timely, uh, or, and sometimes timeless. So one of the things I've been doing this year is picking up older books, like books that have, you know, not like super old, but like if it's been around for a decade, the it's probably effect. Going to test the time a little bit and it's probably sure. a certain amount of quality. So that's been a thing I've been trying to do a little more this year is snag some of those, like a little bit more classics, I guess you could say. Um, any and, favorites or any, any that you're, uh, slogging through or working your way through right now? Uh, so I've been working my way through, um, this book, uh, oh shoot. I actually forget the title of it. Um, uh, you look up. It's, it's, uh, it's called like, uncom- mm, let's see. Uh, it's, it's about eight CEOs. Um, and Warren Buffett rep, rep, uh, recommends it. The outsiders. That, the outsiders. The outsiders. Yeah, that's capital allocation. Yep. One of my favorites. Yeah. The, I, super, I can't. Super financial and nerdy. Um, Why isn't everyone talking about that book in business? That's the thing I don't understand. After, after you read that, you're like, wait, the strategies of capital allocation appear to be pretty like there's there's commonalities amongst the most successful businesses, right? Pretty fundamental. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm working my way through that. I'm hand, you know four or five chapters in now. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books. Far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so what about podcasts, audiobooks, or are you a gamer? Are you doing anything, you know, anything like that? I don't that? do much on podcasts, audiobooks, or things like that. You know, I work from home, so I don't have a commute where I'm just like listening to things. Um, so, and, you know, usually if I'm like, you know, lifting weights or something, I, I'll usually like turn the ball game on. So I'm a girl from Missouri, so I'm a huge Cardinals fan. So I'm just like trying to catch an inning or two, how, that oh, works, very cool. how things are going. Very cool. And so when it comes to advice for uh, other founders, business owners, executives, or maybe anyone who's thinking about getting into technology, uh, do, do you have any, what do you, th- what do you think about the technology industry and what should people who want to get involved maybe know? You know, I think there is so much good information out there these days and so many people are so good about paying it forward. You know, YC has like their startup school curriculum online for free. Yeah. Uh, and the content is like, it's what you get when you go through the, the, the batch itself. So they're not like holding anything. They're not holding some secret sauce back or anything like that. Um, so it's so easy to learn. And as a result, like there's kind of no excuse not to just dive in if you're interested in trying. Yeah. Um, there's no better way to learn than just, you know, put your, you know, put your toes in the deep end, jump right in, uh, water's fine, uh, and see, see if you can pull it off. Um, there's no amount of like sort of reading or preparation work that will make you fully ready for doing the thing. So if you're interested in building something, you got an idea, you're passionate about a customer that you really want to solve a problem for, just start, just do it and see what happens. I love it. Wade, final question. What is the future? Obviously you can't predict the future exactly, but what's the future look like for Zapier? What are you uh, hoping for the company or what are you maybe hoping for the future of remote work? You know, I think the thing we're really excited about is like bringing automation to the masses. When you hear the mainstream media talk about automation, they're so nervous about, you know, the 1% taking away jobs and things like that. But that's not what we're seeing with Zapier. We see so many small businesses. We see so, so many individuals inside of businesses using automation to level up their own skills. You know, part of our fastest growing apps report found that 
you know, people who are adopting automation, uh, like two thirds of them got promoted in the last year. Many of them are making more than six figures now. So like people who are learning this skill, these aren't like massive bigwigs and C-level orgs. These are people on the front lines, right. learning a new skill, adapting it to hard problems in their company. And you know, they're, they're reaping the wars of this. So like, we're really excited to try and help everyone sort of figure out how to, how to harness this tool uh, for good. I love it. Let the machines do what the machines are best at. Let the humans do what we're best at. Wade, thank you so much for being generous with your time. This was awesome. You'll have to come back for round two. And uh, hopefully it's not in a heat wave anymore because I am sweating like crazy. Thanks for having me, Chad. Take care. Mission.org is a media company with a daily newsletter, network of podcasts, and brand studio designed to accelerate learning. Head to mission.org to get award-winning podcasts like The Mission Daily, The Story, IT Visionaries, Education Trends, Marketing Trends, Future of Cities, and more. Mission Studios has worked with companies like Salesforce, Twilio, and Katera to create custom media channels that drive results. Make sure to subscribe to the Mission's daily newsletter at mission.org. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.